Sometimes going to the grocery store can be chaotic. There doesn't seem to be enough time to check the list, make sure everything is there, search for the best prices, and take the time to make sure you get the best quality meat. So let ButcherBox help you out. Giving you peace of mind, ButcherBox delivers high-quality meat and seafood that you can trust straight to your door. No grocery carts required. Humanely raised, no antibiotics or hormones, 100% grass-fed, free-range, and crate-free, what more can you ask for? What about free shipping, customized box plans, exclusive member deals, recipe inspirations, tips, and tricks? You really can't go wrong with ButcherBox. Sign up at butcherbox.com slash morning cup and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. Choose salmon, chicken breasts, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash morning cup and use code morning cup to choose your free for a year offer plus get $20 off your first order. Hey guys, I have a podcast that I think you'll really enjoy. Proof, the investigative true crime podcast co-hosted by Susan Simpson of Undisclosed and Jacinda Davis of Evil Lives Here is releasing its highly anticipated second season where they investigate the murder of 18-year-old Renee Ramos. The first season, which if you haven't listened to yet, you totally should, saw the release of two Georgia men serving life sentences for murdering their friend, Brian Bowling. And thanks to evidence unearthed by proof, on December 8th, 2022, both Daryl Lee Clark and Kane Joshua Story were finally freed after 25 years behind bars. With that same investigative drive, Susan and Jacinda are on the case again, and this time, they are on the streets of Manteca, California, to find out who really killed Renee Ramos. In proof, murder at the warehouse, you hear how, on June 5th, 2000, Renee's body was found buried beneath a pile of debris inside a new Home Depot building. And how, despite tips hinting at alternate suspects, her boyfriend, 18-year-old Jake Silva, and 33-year-old Ty Lopez were arrested and convicted of her murder. Fans of true crime and investigative series won't want to miss this riveting new season. Follow the case as Susan and Jacinda uncover long-overlooked evidence about what really happened to Renee, by listening to Proof, Murder at the Warehouse, wherever you get your podcasts. There were two more murders 15 miles away. When police the arrived, they found the telephones and electricity lines. We have a weird homicide. A scene described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird... Morning. Cup of murder. Necessity can make some people into monsters. On October 17, 1968, one half of a notorious duo died behind bars in a Mexican prison. A duo whose need for money earned them the Guinness World Records distinction as the most prolific murder partnership in history. So if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. In January of 1964, police in Leon, Guanajuato, Mexico, got the shock of their lives when a woman named Catalina Ortega came into the station with a horrific story to tell. According to the incredibly malnourished woman, she had just escaped a sort of brothel-turned-concentration camp being run near San Pancho by Delfina and Maria de Jesus Gonzalez. With her brave escape came not only her life, but the most scandalous and sordid true crime story Mexico has ever seen. 
and a search of the Gonzalez property would prove that the truth was much more terrifying than any fictional story they could dream up. The bodies of 80 women, 11 men, and several small fetuses. Delfina and Maria de Jesus Gonzalez were born in El Sato de Guanacatlan into a family of poverty and abuse. Their father, who formed a part of the rural police, abused the power he yielded, once shooting and killing a man for engaging him in an argument and locking up his daughters in the town jail to teach them a lesson about wearing makeup or dressing in risque clothing. The shooting gained him a few enemies, and soon Isidro moved his family to San Pancho in hopes of starting over. This, unfortunately, did nothing to help their family's financial situation, and the girls decided to start a business of their own to try and make some ends meet. Together, Delfina and Maria scrounged up all the money they could get their hands on, opening up a saloon in San Pancho that, unfortunately, didn't do much more than put food on the table. Wanting more, the girls soon turned to sex work and began bribing local officials to help them establish a very lucrative brothel business in a couple different locations, buying a bar in Lagos off a man nicknamed El Pokianchi, a nickname that was passed down to the sisters who were now called Las Pokianchis. Together, the women would prowl the countrysides looking for the youngest, prettiest, and most desperate women they could find and offering them jobs in Guadalajara or Leon as maids or waitresses. With dreams of making it out of poverty, these young women accepted their offer. And if they didn't, one of the women's henchmen would simply snatch them off the streets. Once at one of the sisters' establishments, the girls were separated and put to work. The virgins saved for those with status, power, and most of all, an abundance of money men who were willing to pay top dollar for an untouched girl. The others were raped, intimidated, and given an ice bath as an initiation of sorts and told to buy their clothing and makeup, stuff they needed if they wanted to ensure success, straight from the Gonzalez sisters. These girls were then held against their will, told to never step foot outside their compounds, and threatened by a few hired hands. Men like Delfina's own son, Ramon, who was referred to as El Tepo, and another, Hermani Hildo Zuniga, who was called the Black Eagle. From the 1950s into the mid-1960s, the sisters brought in wads of cash from either booze or women serving the soldiers, councilmen, and police who were supposed to be keeping the city safe. Then, of course, the inevitable started to happen. Some of the girls found themselves with unwanted pregnancies. And, unable to have their workers out of commission, the Gonzalez sisters had the women beaten until they aborted their babies and had their bodies buried in the backyards of their brothels. The same would happen to the bodies of those who died due to an STD, an impromptu abortion, or from malnourishment. If a girl got too sick, she was locked in a room, starved to death, or beaten to death by the other women at the command of the Gonzalez sisters. To say their business, called the Ranchero El Angel, was a nightmare would be a vast understatement. But murder wasn't only reserved for the unwanted babies and sick girls. No, if a John rolled up to the brothel with an abundance of cash in hand, he too met the same fate as the girls he sought to employ. Bodies were buried or burned and tossed into mass graves as if they didn't matter. 
any and all valuables stolen in the process. In 1963, Ramon Torres, Delfina's son, got into an argument with, with the local police and was shot to death inside of one of the Gonzalez brothels. Because of this, the police closed down the establishment, sending Delfina into a fit of rage and ordering the Black Eagle to hunt down the man responsible and kill him on the spot. He, like always, obliged Everyone moved on, the business continued to boom, and for nearly a decade, the Gonzalez sisters lived and worked completely above the law. That was until Catalina Ortega managed to escape. While sex work was legal in Mexico at the time, the way Delfina and Maria treated the women was not, and when interrogated by a few police who weren't on their payroll about the family business, the Gonzalez's sister Josefina sang like a bird. Her confession, coupled with Catalina's first-hand account and the bodies found during their raid on January 14, 1964, was enough to arrest the Sinister Sisters. As an angry crowd gathered outside demanding to lynch Delfina and Maria, the emaciated women, some found locked inside small rooms, were taken out of the brothel and into freedom for the first time in years. Women who were force-fed heroin or cocaine and raped more times than they could even count. Everyone watched on as the sister's chauffeur, who was also arrested, was forced to dig up the 91 decomposing bodies on the property. When asked about how each of the men and women came to die in their brothel, one of the sisters simply said, the food didn't sit well with them. Under heavy military guard Delfina and Maria de Jesus Gonzalez were taken to jail where, a week later, their other sister, Maria Luisa Gonzalez, turned herself in for the role she played in the crimes out of fear that she would be lynched. A judge would later grant her immunity for the charges he laid against her sisters, but not complete immunity. Dozens of women testified against Delfina and Maria, claiming they dabbled in Satanism and forced them to practice their sexual acts on animals, in addition to the bribery, abduction, torture, and murder. The trial, which was described as chaotic and involving a lot of screaming back and forth by both sisters, ended with each of the women being sentenced to 40 years in prison. While the two main characters in this macabre story are definitely Delfina and Maria de Jesus Gonzalez, a total of four Gonzalez sisters were sentenced for their varying roles within the brothels. On October 17, 1968, Delfina de Jesus Gonzalez, the oldest of the sisters, began screaming and ranting while workers were doing repairs on the cells above hers. Desperate to get a look at the infamous killer, they looked down and accidentally dropped a bucket of cement straight on her head, killing her almost instantly. Maria Luisa, who turned herself in, died on November 19, 1984, and was not discovered until the day after, her body almost completely consumed by prison rats. Carmen Gonzalez, who very little is known about, died of cancer while serving her sentence. And finally, Maria de Jesus Gonzalez, the youngest, was the only one to see life outside of prison walls. She was freed and, as the story goes, she married a man behind bars and was able to live out the rest of her life with her husband until her death in the 1990s of old age. In 2002, while clearing the land that used to house one of their establishments, 
workers found an additional 20 skeletal remains at the bottom of a pit. If they are the victims of Las Pocianchis, which is extremely likely, that brings their death total to at least 110. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to a terrible thing happened on October 18th. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe.